All right, welcome back to the show. I'm physical therapist Jimmy McKay. As we go through different niches, very narrow strips of our profession of physical therapy, you start to see how wide this profession can actually go. And today is no different. I've heard this term, I've read about this term, but I didn't understand this term. And that's why we have today's guest. Noah Goodman is a pelvic floor physical therapist. Pelvic health is where she lives. But we talk about trauma-informed care. And again, this is one of those things that was out there on Twitter and social media. I was like, yeah, 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 that sounds important. But I didn't actually understand what it meant. Well, Noah helps you understand it. By the end of this episode, you are very clear about what it means and how you might want to, probably should, and how you can incorporate this into your own practice. So it's pretty cool uh, what you learn in this episode. I, I felt excited and energized by the time I was done talking to Noah. I uh, want to say thanks to our friends at MW Therapy, an all-in-one outpatient EMR for physical therapists who really, really, really want to make sure they're getting a good value for their time. That's what you're doing. You're trading time with your EMR, delivering the built-in patient portal, marketing automation, and billing features you want at a great value. Find them online at mwtherapy.com, where switching your EMR is easy. And how about this question? Where is your PT career going? Jackson Therapy Partners wants to know. They provide awesome adventures in patient care for physical therapists who care about where they're going. Maybe you want to do travel physical therapy and tour this great country while doing what you love. Check them out online at jacksontherapy.com. And finally, our friends at Get Sun Med, that's your CBD store. Get the ABCs of CBD at getsunmed.com. And don't forget, we've got a contest going on right now from our friends from Dot Physio. 10 digital boost packs of standing out online is tough for you and you don't know how to do it, we've got experts with Christine Walker from PT Website Secrets. That's in the contest. Uh, Kobe Robinson is a copywriter. He'll help you clarify your message. Essentially, all the things that are difficult, we're going to help you solve those things and standing out online digitally with these boost packs. Thanks to our friends from uh, Dot Physio. You can enter that contest right now before the month is over. Uh, online at ptpinecast.com, or you can check the show notes of this episode. I'm talking about this episode. Let's get on with the episode. We'll see what happens. Uh, that is my life mantra. Let's go for it, and let's see what happens. Yeah. I like that kind of attitude. Uh, well, let's start. Uh, is it Noah? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Goodman? You are. Noah, it's like the arc without the H. Noah, like the arc without the H. That's, That's perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, how are you? I'm doing great. I've had a, I shortened my day so I could be here. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fabulous. Um, well, you're welcome. Yeah. Like, hey, who doesn't thank like you. a short day? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yep. All right. You're in Pittsburgh. And I almost asked you this. You almost answered this question before we started. But I always find when you ask, when you have like a good question and you answer it, the second time you answer, it's never as good. So right. you, you, four years ago, you moved to Pittsburgh. And I've mm -hmm. heard about, I've seen it. It's Yinzer. I don't know what that means. I know it's a Pittsburgh thing, but I don't know what that means. And you're like a transplant, so you probably had to figure it out too. What is a Yinzer? What does that mean? Well, Yinz in general is kind of like the a y'all, which is which is great oh. in terms of what we're talking about today because it's it's gender neutral. Um, it's open. And uh, now there's also people who use the word in regular conversation. And there are, uh, for many people, uh, socioeconomic uh, differences in terms of who uses it more uh, within regular conversation versus who uses it more ironically. 
I didn't think we we're going to get that deep into that. And I didn't realize there was a parallel in what we're talking about today. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Noah, the first question we ask, we always get the hard questions out of the way first, because who wants that? You know, why save the hard questions? Uh, sure. What are we drinking today? And then I get to share what I'm drinking. Okay. So I, I hope it's okay that I don't really like alcohol. Okay. Um, um, so I, but I do have like a special mug here. Um, it's my pelvic health uh, yeah. mug and pelvic health PT. I'm nice. drinking just a chai tea with milk and honey. And then I also have my kombucha right next to me as well in case I need to drink that, but I'll keep the carbonation away so I don't end up uh, burping in the middle cool. of this. I have carbonation, but I am going uh, low carb. And this is a shock because most people who do drink beer are always like, oh, IPAs, man, so filling and so like carb heavy. This is from the uh, dogfish head. But mm -hmm. it's it's their slightly mighty low calorie IPA. See, beer okay. people they're they're getting smart too. They're like, hey, what's your objection with drinking my beer? And they're like, well, you know, carb, man, I got the beer belly. And then like, fine, we'll make a slightly mighty. We'll call it low carb. And they did that. So, cheers to you and your chai tea and your kombucha. Yes, and I'll yes. drink the the dogfish head today. Absolutely. All right, uh, that's the first round. Brought to you by our friends from the. Uh, um, from Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training, BFR, as the cool kids are calling it. Find their website, owensrecoveryscience.com. Actually, we're, we're releasing these episodes that you're hearing right now in Niche-vember. We're calling it Niche-vember. An entire month, Noah, of niches, of just like the narrow places that PTs get to go. And we'll actually be at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut with our friends from Owens Recovery Science doing a live podcast. We're getting back to doing some live podcasting. So uh, thanks to them for that. Okay, that's it. Hard questions are out of the way first. Do you feel better already? Now it's like low pressure. I'm still nervous, but go for it. <laughs> I tell people all the time, what I do is 10% communications and 90% psychology my goal as a host and probably your goal as a physical therapist is this person is coming into my world right your clinic or whatever and mm -hmm. for the goal is to get something out of them or to empower them so most of the time it's like our role as therapists or podcast hosts are very similar in that the goal is like i need this person to feel comfortable i need them to feel relaxed i need to make sure this is about them mm -hmm. um so let me start off this way so noah um, tell me about your origin story. You know, where, where, you know, how did you, uh, how did you become who you are now? Where, where does that story start? Oh, it's so I'm one of those people who came to PT late in life. Um, I, uh, so I, you know, you can start all the way. I've got a BA from, you know, many years ago. So, um, from in political science, I have a BA in philosophy, Jewish philosophy. I got a master's in Jewish education. I was working in Jewish education for a while. Then I was also dancing and then I co-owned a Pilates studio. Yeah. Um, I, I did a lot of stuff. Um, I had a kid and then I uh, decided after my second kid that I was going to try and be a PT. Um, so that's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of layers, um, but it really all does help me today in terms of what totally. I do. Totally. Yeah. All right. We're going to touch on some of that stuff okay. because that's a lot of cool elements per, that I think anyway. Okay. Um, but what do you get to do now? So we, we know that there's like a hint of the background there. What's mm -hmm. Noah get to do now? You, we're going to talk about some stuff that I think I've read or I, I've seen the words. So I've read the sure. word, but mm -hmm. I don't think I wrap 
my head around them. And that's why Noah's here. So we're really talking about like trauma-informed care. Right, right. I've read those words and heard those words, but I don't know what they mean. So when, when you're explaining what that means, where do you start? So in terms of you know, what I do now, right? So I am a physical therapist, right? And I care kind of like what you were talking about. We were putting the person at the center of our care and trauma-informed care is rooted in the assumption that any adult or child could have a trauma history. And we know that in terms of prevalence, we, most of us have had some sort of trauma in our lives. And most of us, not just our patients, have had also adverse, adverse childhood experiences. Hmm. And that impacts us for the rest of our lives. Um, so in terms of trauma-informed care, there it really is also not just what I do in my day-to-day -day life. It's a, as I said, patient-centric way of looking at the world, but it also can apply to the entire organization. Um, and so in, in terms of the top of the organization, it's a financial level. A trauma-informed provider would be protected and supported by the organization so that they can best care for their patients. Realizing the uh, widespread impact of trauma, we think of the four R's, recognizing the signs and symptoms of trauma, responding to and integrate integrating the knowledge of trauma and then number four is really what you were talking about before in terms of being a podcast podcast host it's actively resisting re-traumatization and keeping people safe making them feel safe in this new environment how would you define trauma then because i think that's important i don't want to just assume i know what it means right like what is your definition because everything's based on that Sure. And so that is a great question because a lot of people have come up with all sorts of definitions clinically. There isn't a universal definition, but experts do tend to define it based on the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration de definition of trauma. So I'm just going to read that. Um, so individual trauma results from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances that's experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening that has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. So that is a huge category, a right? Yeah, it's a lot. And so if you want to think about it in terms of, you know, common types of traumatic events, you might think of war related trauma or physical violence, interpersonal violence, um, accident, unexpected death of a loved one um, and witnessing injury or death. Any of those things could could be included in terms of traumatic events. And just so the audience is clear, uh, Noah was like practicing what she preaches because she knew this is what the uh, episode was about. And she obviously knew my mom passed away. So you were like nice enough to, hey, listen, just, and that was, a, I thought, a great way to do it. Like you did it so calmly, like, hey, we're going to talk some, about some things. And I know that you've recently had some trauma. And just so you know, if you need, you know, if you want to redirect. So thank you for doing that. I wanted to make sure the audience knew that that was before we hit record. But I thought it was also well done because it made me feel at no point did I need, this was going to happen and there's nothing I could do about it. Like this, 
could potentially come up? And if so, here's a plan. Right. And that's super important to understand that when we're talking about trauma, when we're talking about any of these topics that hopefully we'll talk about today, this isn't just our patients. This is us. Um, And they're not separate. We need to recognize and be kind, not just to our patients, but to each other. Um, And then if we wanted to think about it in terms of PT school, right, these are not just the potential patients, but these are, you know, each other. These are our our other people in our student body. Um, These are our professors, our teachers, right? This affects all of us. All of us. All right. So where do we start? Where, Where do you typically start educating people on this? Well, I mean, we we can think about at-risk groups of trauma, um, and in terms of the people who I work with most commonly, um, I work with people who have given birth, um, so birth trauma. I work with people, um, a lot of people in the LGBTQIA plus community, so hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about care for um, transgender folks, pre, post, you know, during surgery, post-surgery, um, people with PTSD, people with substance abuse, uh, histories of substance abuse, people with a history of violence, abuse in the household. So I work with a lot of people, um, wow. a, lot of, just, a lot of people trauma. Let's just stop right there. Wow. Like yeah. you just listed a bunch of groups that I guess I just, I mean, you know, thought about before, but that's, that's, that's wide. You've got to be really educated in, in, in understanding or attempting to understand those people's lives and backgrounds. So there, there is an element of um, understanding, which is the responsibility of the PT, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. I need to understand um, culturally what trauma some somebody is coming in with. I need to understand the barriers to care of these of different groups. But most importantly, I need to be an amazing PT. Um, and I need to keep learning and keep learning some more and keep asking questions and not assume anything. Um, and I need to keep myself in check and make sure that I don't have any um, preconceived notions of what sure. the person is coming in with. I try to do that a lot. And the audience uh, with podcasting or, or I mean, I don't know. I feel like the, my, my podcast host personality is pretty close to my normal, my regular everyday mm-hmm. personality. But a lot of times when a guest will come on the screen like you did, I, I go to blank dry erase board mode, which is, so what do you think we're here to do today? I asked that super open and like people like record a podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what are we able to do? What are we here to do? And I like when I, and then I just, I essentially keep asking the same question over and over again. Cause I'm trying sure. to get, I mean, you answered it pretty well. I mean, geez, I mean, I wish I recorded that answer. The first one you gave, which is like, we're here to do this and this. And I was like, yes, if we do all those things, gosh, we'll be successful. And I think yeah. that shouldn't be overlooked, which is that's patient or guest led conversations and you can't lose i think when you do that i i i hope i didn't i i, I mean i'm trying to you're saying that i led the conversation or yeah, that well, what i mean yeah. is i i tried to i try to set the guest okay, up okay 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 why do you think we're here today and you were like well i hope we get to have really you know a good uh a conversation about this and this and that's what i try to do which is like let's create that space that i'm not this is my show or whatever but you're the guest. And if you really want to use like that, that word in its entirety, it's like, welcome to my home. Welcome to my space. Yeah. And like, 
yeah. I have invited you in, but this is about you. Right, right. And that's kind of what we do, what I do as a PT in the sense that, you know, in those first 10 minutes of me meeting my person um, at the front desk, it's like, what do I do to make yeah. sure, okay, I need to make sure that they, if the person is black or person of color, right, coming in, they're coming to a white space, most likely, right? The person's coming into a straight space. If the person is larger, they might be coming into a space where they can't sit in some of the chairs, right? Um, they, so I need, you need to kind of pay attention to, and to all of those things as a pelvic health, physical therapist, a lot of people care where the bathroom is. I make sure they know exactly where the bathroom is. I make sure they feel safe that they can use the bathroom. People who are transgender, um, or non-binary in the gender diverse community may have been holding it for a while or haven't felt safe using one of the restrooms between when they left their house to coming to clinic, making sure that the the paperwork matches who they are, right? And that we're not going to have any re-triggering. Um, and then again, once they get into my space, it's I offer a lot of choices. Um, do you want your the lights on, the lights off, door open, door closed, right? Often door closed for what I do, right? Um, I ask if I should go to the right or the left um, side in terms of taking blood pressure. There, I use um, a particular technique to take blood pressure, recognizing that the blood pressure cuff is a restrictive or constrictive device and could re-trigger people. So doing that in a particular way that um, actually Dr. Sadie Ellis put together. Uh, she's a fabulous, fabulous doctor um, and uh, put together a training for med students on how to do a trauma-informed physical exam. Um, so I really try and think about all those things, making sure I'm not blocking the door, letting people know that the door is never locked. They can always leave. And in terms of one of the main anxieties that people come in to see me, they're often worried that they're going to have to take off their pants, right? And making it clear that they never owe me or any other medical mm -hmm. professional anything. And they can walk out that door at any moment. And we may not even do anything where I am putting my hands on them because I recognize that in that moment, even though, and no one can tell right now, I'm under five feet tall. I don't think I'm physically threatening, right? But I do have the power in the room. Sure. I am the person there with the power. So I have to share that power. Um, and by offering choice, we're offering safety and opening that connection and offering a potential for collaboration. Sounds like you just like, like uh, you practice uh, this term that I learned in a book, which is like tactical empathy which sounds like it's like very like 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 oxymoronic where it's like those two words shouldn't work together but you're you're tactically using or putting in play empathy which is uh everything that they might be thinking or that you might be doing mm -hmm. how will that make them feel how can i make them feel as empowered or understand it the most so it sounds like you understood it from the second they well even before they left their house to the second they, you know, hit, hit your door to the second the, they hit your yeah, office. Yeah, from the minute they call the clinic, right, to make that appointment. Um, and for some people, it that's even hard. Sure. So how do you, you know, so if I have a doctor uh, or ref referral, let's say, um, 
someone who's going to come in and they're nervous to call. Maybe their voice does not match what their, you know, what it says in terms of gender, right? So, so that might be a very fearful thing for someone. So yeah, it might mean that I need to call the person on the phone or email them. Um, I've had times where I've even texted back and forth over telehealth um, to try and accommodate people and make them feel safe so that we can create a plan um, for healing. Yeah, there's a lot of situations you're trying to put yourself in their shoes, which I learned the difference between empathy and sympathy from a, a guest who is a psychologist. And and it really is. How can I understand as as much as I can, having not walked in that person's shoes, but how right. can I try to understand what that person might be feeling or going through and then putting Absolutely. myself back in my own shoes? How can I best minimize because you probably can't erase a lot or prevent a lot of these things how can i minimize them as much as possible absolutely there's you know only so much we can control so if someone's triggered by the smell of something i can't necessarily control for that but there are so many other things that as physical therapists we can control right we and we don't ask um, which side of the bed, which type, it's not even the word bed, sorry. Um, which side of the examination table do you want your head to be at? What side do you feel comfortable with me standing on? You know, there are so many things that we can control, um, and especially language, which we can get to. Um, that, yeah, that, what about that, language? That's near and dear to yeah. my heart. So language is so important, right? Yeah. So, you know, if we talk is if I, I one of the first things I tell my, my folks is, hi, my name is Noah. Um, my pronouns are she, her. How about you? And that immediately takes down the level of stress like, oh, you get it. You get it. And then they are affirmed, right? Then we're talking about gender affirming care, which is. So what does that term? What does that term mean for you? Or how would you educate someone else on what that means? So in terms of gender affirming care, we're really affirming. We're really without judgment. I. Let's see. I'm going to say it as the sense of. Oh, hold on a second. I'll drink while you think. You uh, you drink while I think. Um, <laughs> I want to say it correctly. Um, so, um, okay. So, I mean, it really just is healthcare in this case, right? You can think about right. it in terms of mental health as well. I'm just trying to just, that it really allows the person to live authentically in their own gender, right? So you're starting with your name and your pronouns, but you're also thinking about the person's gender expression, gender identity. So for example, I feel like a lot of PTs will pathologize um, differences in posture right? We have all this, you know, we have, we have, I feel like different groups um, in, in the PT world who will say, well, there is, a, there is a perfect posture. And we have another who says that there isn't a perfect posture, right? Um, and then in terms of gender expression, you'll notice that some people will sit a certain way and some people will sit another way. So Jimmy, I don't know how you're sitting right now, but I'm guessing that you don't sit with your legs crossed one over the other right now. It doesn't look like you are based on what I'm seeing right now. Right. So, you know, that is a gender expression. And then we have to think about our own biases with that. What are our implicit biases with that? Um, you know, I mentioned like 
sizeism, fat phobia, homophobia, sexism. And if you think about the gay community, the LGBTQI community, there's also going to be, you know, do you have any opinions about anal sex or kink or HIV or drug use, right? Um, what are your implicit biases there? And, you know, I feel like um, in my limited uh, talks with uh, the DPT world, there are a lot of biases out there. Sure. Um, so I think that that's something, you know, that we need to work on. What's the best way to do it? if you were going to if, if someone was saying, OK, I'd like to come into this world and treat individuals this way mm -hmm. is the best way to ask questions is the best way to listen as much as possible? Or how would you do that? So, there, well, I think that there's a there's a few things. Right. One is that we need to be knowledgeable. Right. A lot, I'd say about 50% um, based on the research that I've seen in terms of the transgender discrimination um, research out there, about 50% of people who are transgender feel that they have to educate their med medical professionals. That is not okay. Right. That's a lot. They should not, when people come to us, we should be the ones who are experts in terms of health. Right. So, first of all, we need to learn a little bit more. So we need to be familiar with um, hormone treatments. We need to be familiar with what it means to be transgender, what it means to be non-binary, what it needs to be, you know, and how do, how do you separate gender and sex, right? Um, so being familiar is really important. And then also what you just said, listening and being curious. And I think once, if we're curious and open-minded, then we can learn because we can't make assumptions, right? So if somebody comes to me and I'm seeing them before um, vaginoplasty, I can't assume what their goals are when right. it comes when they after they see me hopefully they come back after their surgery i can't assume what their goals are i have to ask them what are your goals with your with your new vagina right and i have to be you know okay with whatever they tell me um so we can't assume things i think is really important and i think that goes you know also when it comes to working with anyone who's different from us right so i am a cisgender woman i can't assume a lot of things i also um, benefit from white privilege. I can't assume a lot of things, but I do need to be aware of, you know, what someone who is Black experiences and how cultural uh, and um, there's medical racism, there's cultural racism, there's things that, you know, trauma that's been passed on, intergenerational trauma. Um, and I need to be aware of what's in the news, right? Because somebody may come in and in, you know, in any population, and there might be something horrible that's happened in the news, right? We've got a lot of horrible things in the news, and that may be re-traumatizing for that person. So, Yes, we have to be curious and ask all the right questions, but we also need to be um, knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. Larry King, the uh, the journalist who who actually just passed away not long ago, mm -hmm. he, he would give he. I saw an interview where he gave a master class on. It looked like Larry King was just kind of goofing through life, right? He just had this mm -hmm. kind of relaxed posture, like he wasn't he wasn't Tom Brokaw. He wasn't sitting up straight. He was just kind of like I'm Larry. All of that was calculated. 
Larry King's job was, how do I get you relaxed enough to tell me stuff you might not say elsewhere? By the way, while there's a bunch of lights and cameras and you know you're being interviewed, mm-hmm. even if there's no lights or cameras or microphones, if you're speaking with someone, especially, and you mentioned this before, you have the power in that medical situation when you walk in, even though you're like, I don't have the power. To that person might perceive you as the person who has the power. And you need to understand that. And then I'll go further. It's your job to make sure that th- that you communicate it verbally, non-verbally, and power verbally. That mm-hmm. this is them. I'm going to react to you. Nothing here is going to happen unless you don't know about it, consent to it, and you don't owe me. Right. I love how you, you don't owe me anything. You don't own any. You don't owe any medical provider. I think that was a fantastic um, um, sentiment. Um, how'd you how'd you garner all this? Is this just is this a, a lifetime or so of what you've done so far of experience? Did you learn? Like, how did you pick all of this up? Because I feel like doing some of this wrong can really lead to more trauma. I mean, I think that's why why yeah. it's called trauma. But like, how how does someone get experience without causing anybody harm? What's the best way to do that? So I think that's one fear that a lot of PTs have is what if I, if I ask about trauma, am I going to re-traumatize them? Um, And actually that's not the case. So we have, again, we can go to research um, and we found that by asking about trauma, we in fact are not re-traumatizing anyone by asking about trauma. We're actually opening the door. Even if the person says, nah, I have no, I haven't, you know, they may two, three, four visits later say, you know, actually there was that one time or actually that does remind me of my doctor. Or, you know, when I left last time, I wasn't really want to tell you this, but I was crying mm-hmm. um, or, you know, that kind of thing. So you've opened the door to communication and that is really important. So I, I know that's, that's one, one thing. So you, just by not asking, you're not opening any doors. Right, right, right. So, so that's the first thing in terms of how I got here. Um, so, I think there's like a lot of components. One is I was a sex educator um, in San Francisco. One of my many, many jobs, right? And so I've kind of, you know, just. I guess, like a butterfly, and many, yeah. many chrysalises. Yeah. Um, and one of my jobs was to create a sex ed program. And part of so that- For, was, for you know, who? Was this for, was this for like high schoolers. kids? High schoolers. Yeah, okay. high schoolers. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I also was teaching Pilates and dance. And so I was also teaching about the body. Um, and I saw, you know, then I also had gave birth. I had opinions about that. Um, I had one kid in the hospital, another kid at home. Um, I didn't want any sort of medical intervention with either. I was lucky enough that I could have the kind of birth that I wanted. Um, but I also started to think about, okay, all the other people who aren't. Um, and you start to get a little bit of life experience. And I think that's part of it. You know, you, and then also in PT school, uh, I really, you know, coming into PT school at, at the age of 40 with a lot of ideas and opinions, which were not always, uh, hmm, welcome. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, so 
I began to think, well, what are we doing? You know, we're using each other as bodies. Uh, we have our professors touching our bodies, but there seems to be something missing here, right? Just because you ask for consent, can I put my hand here? Can I put my hand there? Are you okay with this? Does that really mean that it's trauma-informed? I think we gynecologists also, have you ever had a bad experience with a speculum before? No, yes, well, we're gonna do it anyway, right? Um, there isn't really an opportunity to say no. And there isn't, uh, so that, that first week, I knew that well, there's something missing here. And I knew we could do better because what? I was the only person raising my hand when they said, oh, does anyone want to be, come up to the front and have their pubic bone palpated? Uh, and but Everyone you might have been the only one who was old enough with another life experience to go, hey, not everything that's put in front of you do you have to do. Or maybe right. that wasn't the right way to ask. Right, right. So there's something to be said for that, right? So um, to be said for having a little bit of life experience and um, under, kind of looking at it from a different perspective, right? So having already been into graduate school once um, and learned doing education um, and then going to graduate school a second time, you, I mean, I had to turn it off a lot, but you, you have to come at it, you come at it with a little bit of, I don't know, opinions, you come with a different perspective. Oh, yes. you've, you've learned, you got wisdom, you want to call it wisdom, bias, a little bit mix of both. You had yeah. experience. Yeah. So, so um, I, I knew that there were, there are gaps, right? There are gaps in, in terms of what we do in terms of, you know, for example, when we talk about the thoracic spine, right? There isn't any mention of breast tissue, right? When we talk about upper back pain, no one ever talked about having a supportive bra. It's true. Um, Never covered that in PT school. Not no. once. I mean, and do most of the people in your PT classes wear bras? Yeah. 70%. Um, <laughs> so, so there are just some huge gaps, right, um, that I feel are just kind of obvious to me, but didn't seem obvious to the people who were either coming into the program or were teaching the program. And I see it not just where I was. I think I think this is kind of universal from yeah. based on what I, I'm seeing. And same thing goes for when we're talking about we're talking about race, we're talking about uh, when we're talking about gender diversity, right? There's just a lot out there that um, we need to take into consideration if we're thinking about patient care uh, and better outcomes for our patients. Therapy part of physical therapy can't happen unless you create a safe space for your patients. When I say that, what comes to mind? I think of the therapy part of physical therapy. Yes, it's physical, right? Um, I just want to make sure that it's therapeutic. When I think of therapeutic, I think of something that is healing, right? So someone who has had trauma most likely is in a state of hyper arousal. So sudden movements uh, might not, uh, is well, it's a usually not a good thing. It's going to trigger, it's going to take that sympathetic nervous system and increase it, right? And that's the last thing we want for our patients, right? Because we know as soon as that sympathetic nervous system increases, we've got a higher pain response 
response, right? And and we're not going to get that therapy out of it. So that's where like the safety, the therapy all come together. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question exactly. No, but I just I wanted to say that and I wanted to see what that meant to you really. That was my... Um, yeah, yeah. My I, they have to go hand in hand. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's, it's the foundation. It's the foundation in terms of our lives, right? In terms of infancy. Um, when we talk about our childhoods, the adverse childhood um, effects in terms of how that affects our, our health, right? How one person having more of those ACEs, um, those adverse childhood experiences are going to, they're going to die earlier. Um, those people are going to suffer more. They are at a, you know, in terms of that starting line of life, right? They have, there's a lot more catch up that they have to do um, to get to where someone who has fewer of those ACEs um, might be. So we need to be understanding of that. And that's kind of, again, that safety aspect in terms of creating a therapeutic environment yeah. for our patients. Yeah. My cousin is a nurse practitioner in New York city and she works with individuals who a lot of the time are transitioning. Mm -hmm. And You've had conversations and I, I keep saying to my cousin who, by the way, could have her own podcast, but she's like, I don't sit still long enough. Um, and it, the more conversations I have with her, the more I've realized that there are topics, there are people or types of people in this world. I've never even knew that they existed and the, and if i didn't know you existed how could i possibly imagine how different things might affect you um you must constantly need to um be learning or educating listening doing all these things because there are as as many people as there are in the world i mean we're all a little bit different the more we assume that we're so similar um the more we keep being shown how we're not how do you prepare for all of that where are you, where are you gaining your education from I think that there, again, they've got, you think about research out there, staying on top of research, but also being, um, uh, talking to the community. Being, uh, so I'm part of um, a tri-state gender collaborative group. Um, I'm going to be speaking and learning. Uh, soon we have our uh, Trans Pride Pittsburgh conference, right? So I'm going to be learning from other people in the community. I also learn from my patients. Uh, that means that, you know, there's no, in terms of transitioning, there's no there's no no one who's more transgender than someone else. There's no such thing as not being trans enough. Everyone's going to transition in their own way. There's social transitioning. There's medical transitioning. There's legal transitioning. Um, so, and not all gender diverse people want to medically transition. Again, this is where we want to ask people you know, what does that mean to them? Where are they? What are their pronouns? What are their goals? And being aware. And so if it's someone who is medically transitioning, and let's say they're, uh, they have estrogen, maybe, you know, this is where the PT needs to be knowledgeable and say, okay, well, is it, is it, how do you feel about, you know, that pressure on the breast tissue? Um, or, you know, if, if you have someone lying down, right? 
Uh, and then in terms of trauma-informed care, always being within eyesight of someone. And that might mean that you need to change the way that you do your upper quarter screen or your lower quarter screen. Um, so that's when I when I think of you know trauma-informed care, it's a it's a lens um, that we can we yeah, need yeah. to work to implement in every aspect of our practice. Let, let's talk about something um, specific. A sure. Specific thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, why is pre-op vaginoplasty physical therapy important? Let's get specific. I mean, you talked about a lot of different audiences, a lot of different types of people that you get to work with. Why sure. is that specific uh, audience important? So um, I'm developing a program for, so I'm part of UPNC, Centers for Rehab Services, um, and we don't have anyone in our area in Pittsburgh who is doing gender-affirming bottom surgeries. I'm working with the folks at Temple who do, and what we're trying to do is create a streamlined program where I see people prior to their surgery and then afterwards. We know that when we see people afterwards, they're more likely to adhere to um, dilation, um, which is where a dilator is inserted into the vagina in order to maintain the length and eventually increase the girth. You know, that's, that's, that's the idea. Now, in terms of pre-op, there, I feel like people really benefit from three sessions. The first being, let's create that safe space, right? You're more likely to go back to the PT if you already have a face and you feel comfortable with them, right? And then, um, important to, learn a little bit about your pelvic anatomy, right? And that may involve touch. It may not involve touch, right? Um, it also involves talking about breath and talking about breathing and how to use your breath to uh, decrease the intra-abdominal pressure to stretch tissues that will be, you know, you know, cut soon. Um, and how do you also, in terms of post-op care, which is a whole other thing that I, I've been working um, also with another doctor to create, post-op care for our folks who are undergoing some serious medical surgeries. So this is, you know, we, we talk about it um, among, you know, pelvic PTs who are dealing, working with with folks who have gone through C-sections, right? right but right. anyone who has had any po any operations, right? They deserve post-op care. That includes bed mobility. How do you do a log roll? Um, and then and when it comes to pelvic health, well, how do you urinate afterwards? How do you have a bowel movement afterwards without straining? A lot of people are terrified to have a bowel movement after uh, abdominal surgery or any sort of pelvic surgery, right? So the, that's the kind of thing that we think about. And then also um, with that awareness of what's going on with my body, right? So a lot of people have a, a idea of what uh, sex should look like if you have a vagina, right? And they might base that on the movies or in porn, but that's not always the most accurate, right? So um, sometimes it's about, okay, do you feel how when you go into butterfly, 
You, do, do you feel like you could pass gas here? No. All right. Do you think that's a good way to insert a dilator? No. All right. Let's try something else. Right. So we can, instead of me just handing them a handout and saying, you know, like right. with a little stick figures, this is a no and this is a check mark. Yes. I'd like for them to be able to feel that in their own body so that when they are ready to, you know, post operatively, then they, they can feel it and they have the confidence and they know why they were told to breathe and they know why they were told to anterior pelvic tilt versus posterior pelvic tilt. Oh, there, I feel my pelvic floor muscles lengthening. Oh, I feel them shortening here. This is a better position for me to be in. Um, are you um, ready for three questions? If I think so. I mean, it's really rhetorical. I mean, it's not that they're not hard. They're fun questions, but I would okay. like to ask it like that because there's it creates drama. Okay. Okay. Maybe drama. Gonna, Let's go for are you drama. Ready for three questions? Okay. All right. Three questions uh, brought to you by our friends from Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. You should know this if you're thinking about opening a practice, which can be overwhelming, or thinking about selling your practice, which can be scary. On average, a private practice that joins the physical network grows more than 40%. So if you're ready to learn how you can do one of those two things and do it well while being an autonomous practitioner, visit physicalfranchise.com. That's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. All right, so uh, three questions. First question, you mentioned earlier that you had a background in uh, Jewish education. And my friends who were Jewish, it, it was so different than my Catholic upbringing there were all these like great like like lessons and structure. I thought there was like more structure, and that actually I, I felt like play out. So, what's something that being a religious Jewish educator like helped you somewhere out in in the world? That's the whole point about religion, right? It's supposed to you learn something there that helps you in the world. But what's something that really uh, that that being an educator um, helped you bring somewhere else in your career? Maybe your PT career. I'll. Do, I'll answer that by saying that we welcome questions. Uh, we There isn't a dogma uh, in my world. Uh, yeah. Asking questions, being critical, being open to change, returning uh, to the foundation and looking back at the original text that doesn't change, even though we've changed and drawing new meaning from it. I, I mean, fun fact, I got thrown out of Sunday school multiple times because I asked questions. I was like, I don't understand. I mean, that nine, I remember being like, but I don't understand it. They were like, we just want you to memorize it. I was like, I don't do that. And I remember being like, my mom had to have a meeting with the teacher and be like, he asks too many questions. And I'm, my mom was like, I thought that was good. I thought that was a good thing. Anyway, so I like the fact that like, okay, it wasn't just me. That's actually a thing. Uh, second question on three questions. What uh, What's something that you've watched, listened to, read, a book, movie, podcast, something, some piece of, of content that, that really inspired you? There are tons of things that inspire me. Um, I can tell you that um, recently I read The Pain Gap by um, Anushe Hussain, um, right. who's amazing. I've read um, Black Man in a White Coat. I, 
I have anything by Penny Simpkin is amazing. I'm really inspired by them. Um, so there's there's so many things that I yeah. just I, I get inspired by, and I just listening to like Ucheno side Ucci. I'm I'm just like it's like call to arms for me. I like that, and she'll like to hear that. Make sure that gets back to her. Last question on three questions. I like to start and end with people. Who's someone the audience should know more about? Dr. Sadie Alicio is one um, in terms of someone who's leading the way. Um, and then I feel like not enough people know about uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Diane uh, Jacobs. So I feel like dermoneuromodulation, the less is more philosophy where we pay attention to cutaneous nerves. I feel like it's just forgotten and it makes a difference when I have someone coming in with what some might call a pelvic flare and all I do is gentle dermo neuromodulation um, and it works. It feels like magic, but then it works. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I helped that person. Um, so it works with people who have um, oversensitized maybe tissue, but then I've also had it work with people who are, you know, have spinal cord injuries and are waking up in the middle of night with pelvic pain um, who, you know, and then I teach their caregivers how to use it. So yeah, dermoneuromodulation, just it's, it's so cool and so gentle. Sounds like a topic of a future episode, but I'm just saying this is what I do for a living. You know what I mean? All right. Yeah. That's three questions from our friends from physical therapy, uh, excuse me, physical therapy and balance centers. Physicalfranchise.com is their website. Last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. All right, parting shot brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. They've got lots of independent study courses. If you're an orthopedic physical therapist, trust me, there's a course out there for you, what you do and what you want to do. Uh, their industry-leading course, their their you know worldwide course that they're known for is Current Concepts of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. That will take you from wherever you are in your orthopedic physical therapy career to an advanced practitioner, all right? Maybe you're thinking about taking that OCS exam. This is a great roadmap to do that. So find them online at orthopt.org. All right, Noah, your yes. parting shot. Last chance for a mic drop moment or a soapbox statement, whichever uh, alliteration you want to go with. What's the last thing you'd want to leave with the audience today? Um, use gender-inclusive language. Uh, make sure all your forms uh, that you have are include options for gender. Display images of different genders, sexualities, people of color, um, commit to trauma-informed care and receiving ongoing diversity and health training. Uh, talk to your colleagues, support your colleagues, and support legal, legal change uh, with things like the Equality Act. I think you covered it right there. Uh, this was great. Thank you for doing this. I feel like what you did was, I mean, I, I, I feel like we can't fully understand this because I feel like this is something you have to keep learning and this is always changing. But the idea for this month's worth of content was to, to, to highlight like great places you can go 
with your physical therapy license. And I use air quotes like you get a license, you can kind of go where you want. Mm-hmm. And but you can't go where you don't know about. So that's what I think this 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 at least this this uh this absolutely this and I have I have people reaching out, I have students reaching out to me from all over the country asking that exact question. How can I work yeah. with this population? And you know, I really think that there is a need and there are people who want to hear it. So I hope that just by be me, me being here validates yeah. what so many other people are feeling out there um, as PTs, as students, as future PTs. Um, I really hope that it gives people hope that there are, there are, we're, we're out here, we're fighting really hard for equality and to improve, you know, as much as we can the lives of others. And you can too. Yes. Like you're doing it. You can too, and your proof of concept, like this isn't a, I wish it was, this is, it's happening now. It deserves to happen. There's obviously uh, an audience for it. There are people who need it. Noah's out there doing it. Why can't you? And that's really what I wanted to highlight in terms of these these niche episodes. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. That means so much. Our pleasure. They say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com. 